Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hi, this is Dr. Ruth Gautian, author of the book, The Success Factor. If you want to maximize your professional relationships, you should listen to Build Your Network with my good friends, Travis Chappell and Eric Skorzynski. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Ruth, thank you so much for joining me on the Build Your Network podcast. I really appreciate you joining me on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to have you here. And one thing we like to always do with these uh, shows and these episodes is really take the conversation back to childhood. Uh, who is ah. it that you were when you were in middle school? You know, like what was the mindset? What was kind of the, uh, the, the path that you felt like you were on at, a, at an early age? So I was always the one who was different, right? I was in a class that was mostly boys and four or five girls. And I was not the one who wanted to trade stickers. I, I wanted to play soccer with the boys. So I always had a little bit of a competitive streak in me, not afraid to be different, not, to, not afraid to be an N of one. And I think that's carried me through adulthood. Yeah, I was listening to one of your podcasts that you were on and you were talking about being one of the first girl players on the boys soccer team. And really, it sounds like your life was kind of a square peg in a round hole kind of thing, trying always. to trying to always, always. pursue a certain <laughs> path. 
what what was kind of the guidance you were getting as a kid? Were you pushed a certain way career-wise? Were you told to, you know, go a certain direction, go to college, do these kind of kind of things? So going to college was a given. That that there was no question about because I'm very privileged that at least on one side of my family, several generations have gone to college. So that was the natural path. In terms of what I would do, I think I grew up at a time where there were very specific gender roles. So yes, women can have a career, but it was teacher, nurse, right? Those typical, those typical jobs. And we found when I'm still in touch with most of my elementary school classmates, and we found this piece of paper where one of the teachers predicted what our future careers would be. And I was a nurse. That was right because I I loved science and math and that obvious that I would go into the healthcare field in some way, but that didn't last long because I quickly switched to business and finance and then higher ed and academic medicine and then adult learning and leadership and now coaching and mentoring and writing and keynote speaking. So it's really gone very different route. I am still very much based in healthcare, but in a very different role. What enabled you to kind of see past, you know, kind of the traditional gender roles, the paths that were laid out? And, you know, the reason I ask this is actually to another show where I talk with a lot of people who grew up in a very restrictive religious community. And one of the elements is like women are not even encouraged to be nurses, like they're encouraged to stay home, be the wife, the mother, you know, not that there's anything wrong with those things, but to be limited to those two or three paths what enabled you to kind of look over the fence and see like, hey, they're telling me I can do this one thing or these two things. I want to do something different. I want to chart my own course. What what kind of fueled that? So I grew up in, in a family. I am the only girl in my family in four generations. Any other Any other woman had to marry in. So I would constantly see myself around very successful people and and the women who married in were actually very successful. And I, I quickly realized that people's definition of what I should do was based on their limited view. But the more I saw and the more I talked to people and the more I realized what else is out there and realized this is before internet, but I, I always did it by talking to people. That was really my way of doing it. I am a card carrying extrovert. I can talk to anyone about anything. And I got to see what else is out there. So I kept trying these different things and and hearing about different things that are available. And that is what snowballed. And one thing just led to another and led to another and led to another because you keep building on your experiences. And the more that you can surround yourself with interesting people, the more you'll hear about what else is out there because I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I, I had no idea what else was out there. So if I could surround myself with people who said, oh, have you thought of this? Oh, have you tried this? Have you read this book? And all of a sudden, I am just exposed to different things. And I think that let me see what else is out there. But to this day, I don't know anyone else who's doing what I'm doing. Mm. But the beautiful thing about it is that I can take pieces of what other people are doing and create my own version of what would work Mm. for me. And I think subconsciously, that's what I actually did. And it worked. Yeah. It worked. I love what I do now. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously worked very well. And breaking out of that bubble is so important, you know, and, and that's one of the things I've, I've talked about a lot 
just with my wife talking about getting around family or getting around friends is like, you start seeing a lot of people that suggest a path, like you said, they're putting their own limitations onto you. And you talk to people that say, you need to get your nine to five and you need to follow this direct path that I followed. And you start looking at their life and you go like, they're unhappy. They're complaining about where they're at. They're not pleased with you know, uh, the amount of women growing up that told my wife, oh, you need to be a, a just a housewife. And this, they would be complaining in the next breath about how much they wish they had done something else. Or for me, my my parents were poor and saying, follow, you know, I, I'm not going to follow the same path and chart the same course. It doesn't, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So once you got into the kind of college realm, talk about exposure to new ideas and new people and new experiences. What was the college journey kind of like for you? So I went to a state school for both my undergrad and my master's. I actually started out pre-med because as I said, I, I loved STEM. And then I sat in on one chemistry class, you know, 400 people. And, and I said, this is just not for me. Business was something in particular management was something that I had been doing since I was a little girl. If there was a problem, I was the one who organized people and resources to fix the problem. That to me is as natural as breathing. When I realized that what comes naturally to you and you're you're good at it and you're passionate about it and you can turn that into a career, that's when I started looking at the business school. So I went to the business school and I enjoyed it. And then it was the recession. And, and what do you do when there are no jobs? You, you stay in school. So I got my master's degree in business. And the master's degree was very different from undergrad because undergrad, they teach you what to think. And masters, they teach you how to think. And again, this was still before the internet. And as I started learning about how to think, that's when my whole world started opening up. I started questioning things that we held as true and right. I started questioning, well, why is it true? And why is it right? And why are we doing it this way? And why aren't we trying another way? And has it been tried before? And what did we learn from that? So that was really fascinating to me. And then at the age of 43, I decided to go back to school and get my doctorate while working full time and raising a family. And there I studied adult learning and leadership to figure out how do adults like you and I learn, which is very different from the K through 12 model, because we don't sit in a classroom. We can't. So how do we learn? And then the leadership angle is why do certain people rise to the top and others don't? And, and how can we get more people to effectively reach the top and stay there and, and really inspire others. And that's when I started studying extreme high achievers. And it started with physician scientists. And since then, it's become astronauts and Nobel laureates and Fortune 500 CEOs. And it's, you know, that's really snowballed. And that's, that's become very exciting, just figuring out what these extreme high achievers do. And that's when I realized that astronauts and Olympians are more alike than different. They have the same kind of mindsets. And that's when I realized, well, if they can achieve success, why can't the rest of us achieve success? So I reverse engineered what they did and figured it out. And now I teach it to other people, but it's very customizable. So if I take that blueprint I can't use it for everyone. I have to create a bespoke model for each person using those tenets of what is so, what is it that successful people do? And then we customize it to every person's life based on everything that they have going on in their life and the way that they learn and the way that they take in information. So it's, I've become obsessed with success. 
I definitely want to talk about the how these people learn, how the high achiever works. But I am curious, just you, you mentioned a little while back that you had so many things that you thought of as just, you took it for granted. These truths that you said, like, this is the truth. This is what it is. And then you start thinking through it and realize like, oh, well, I just was taught to think that way. Or this is, yeah. this is how we were told to think about it. Do you remember an example of just maybe one of those first things that, you know, was like a sledgehammer to an existing worldview you had or, you know, changed a mindset you had about a certain topic in a big way? Well, it's actually, I always thought that's what written is, what is written in a textbook is true. Hmm. It never dawned upon me that it's one person's version of what is true and that you can have another textbook that contradicts everything that's in the first textbook. Because we always grew up thinking the textbooks are the Bible, right? What is said in there is true. When I realized that's wrong, that you can approach everything differently, everything from I studied business. So marketing, for example, which was my favorite subject, you could have opposing views of how to approach the same problem. Hmm. That to me was a huge aha moment, hmm. huge. And that that really grew and grew over the years. And once I started studying adult learning and realized that adults are just in different variations of normal, hmm. it's unlike children, which go through a whole developmental stage. Adults aren't like that. We are who we are, but how we take in and process information is very different. Some people might prefer to read information on their own in quiet in their favorite chair well, other people process information by talking it out. Others might prefer to watch YouTube videos. Other people need to draw out sketches. Other people need to try out problems and do hundreds and hundreds of problems in order to retain the information. Everyone does it differently. It doesn't mean that one way of learning is the right way. It's the right way for them. Mm. It's not the right way for everyone. And that is something that we have to realize in the classroom, in the workplace, and in our personal lives, that we need to be able to communicate with people in a way that they understand. Mm -hmm. Taking this one level deeper, because this is something that's very interesting to me, because I, like I said, I grew up in a very, a very strict kind of religious background. And, you know, everything down to political views, preferences, everything was laid out, you know, religiously. And I remember the first time that like I mentioned the idea of a sledgehammer taking out some of those worldviews, like when you start realizing that some of these truths are not as objective as we'd want them to be, it can send you in kind of a spiral. Like I was in a panic when I first started realizing like, oh, this thing is just one person's viewpoint. How do you navigate, you know, obviously knowing that everybody's path is a little bit different, everybody's goals are different, you have to adjust accordingly. How do you balance that with also the without being panicked by the fact that there might not be like this true North or this kind of objective point that we're all trying to reach. Trial and error. And you have to mm. do your homework. You have to do your research. You have to really delve into the topic and really make your own informed decision. And it's really about reading and seeing what else is out there and talking to other people and not letting them take control over what you think is the right thing to do and the right thing to believe. You mm. really need to make your own informed decision because when you are making your own informed decision, you are going to believe it and you are going to enforce it. Do you think that belief's crucial to it working? I think it helps. Otherwise, you're just you're just enforcing someone else's beliefs. Mm. And it's hard to go all in when you do that. Right, right. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. 
We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at Indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to Indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. You mentioned that astronauts and Olympians are shockingly alike in a lot of ways. When you when you research these high-performing people, what do you mean by that? And do you see a very common personality trait in all of these high achievers that you don't see in, say, a quote-unquote average person walking down the street? So it's interesting because I just spoke today to Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan's former trainers, and we were talking about this because he works with elite basketball NBA athletes. And I was working with all these other people and it's the same. It's exactly the same. There's actually these different mindsets that they have. So what makes them, and it doesn't matter if you got the Nobel or you got the Olympic gold, or if you're leading, uh, you know, when the fortune 500 companies, there's a few pillars that they all have that are all the same. The first is they are all intrinsically motivated. They would do this for free if they could. They absolutely love what they do. They often do it for free. They would do it for free. This is what they were put on this earth to do. Obviously, they have some skill. They're pretty good at it, but they truly love it because you can't work at something that much if you don't absolutely love it. You are doing it for yourself. That's why I say it's intrinsically motivated. When you do things for other people, you're extrinsically motivated. And other people means outside recognition, the promotion, the award, the diploma, right? If that's why you're doing it, you're going to burn out or fail out. But when you're intrinsically motivated, you could go on and do it all day long, right? Mm. So that's number one. The second one is they have a level of perseverance unlike anything you've ever seen. They cannot sleep until they solve this problem. This is something that's just taking up 
a, a lot of space in, in, in their head right now. They're constantly thinking about it. They need to solve it and they will go to the ends of the earth to try and solve it, whatever it is. The third one is they have a very strong foundation, which they are constantly reinforcing. So the same drills that you would see at the Olympic Village and with the NBA All-Star teams are the same ones you would see in a junior high gym. Same ones. Obviously, the NBA players and the Olympic champions have better gear and fancier sneakers, but the drills are the same, right? And then finally, they are learning by informal means. So just because they got their big fancy award doesn't mean that they're not learning anymore. They actually continue to learn and they are constantly trying to get additional feedback and they have a team of mentors who support them. They are constantly trying to get that information. So again, some of them are reading and some of them are watching videos and some of them are talking to other people, but they're craving, they're craving that additional perspective from other people in order to make themselves better. Do you think... So I, and this is another thing that always comes to mind is like, when you see someone that driven, you know, when you hear somebody, you know, and we, we just went and interviewed uh, Matt Barnes and he was talking about Kobe Bryant. He was talking about the, you know, the motivation and like how hard he trained and like the way that he just got in that zone. And do, do you think that everybody has something that sparks them like that? Do you think everybody has a, a thing that if they found that groove, if they found that niche that they were passionate about, they could all hit those same kind of marks in that category. Obviously, if I got really excited about basketball, I'm probably not going to be hitting those same kind of marks and things as, as a Kobe Bryant because I'm me. But in a certain category, if I found what that is, do you feel like yes. everyone could become a high achiever? Yes. I think everyone has the potential, but people don't have the plan. So that's one of the things I, I did and one of the things that I'm writing about in my new book, The Success Factor, is what is that plan? What is that blueprint for success that you can adapt to your own life and massage it to fit the different curves of your own life? Mm. But the first thing you need to do is find out what you're passionate about. What, what is it that will keep you up at night because you want to? It's the reason you get out of bed in the morning yeah. to try to figure it out. So you need to do what's called a passion audit figure out what it is that you are passionate about. And it's a three column exercise. And in five minutes, you can have an idea of what are some of the things that you are truly passionate about. So your listeners can go to my website, ruthgotan.com slash passion audit, and they can actually download that audit for free and, and start to work on that immediately. That's awesome. I was just about to ask where people could do that because that sounds really, that sounds really interesting. Uh, taking this a step, because obviously the success factor, your book is going to help people find that for themselves. I want to take this a step back because we talked about school. We talked about, you know, your teacher, you know, projecting what she thought you could be. How can we as leaders identify these traits for people, especially, I mean, I, I asked this as a dad of a, a almost four-year-old, how do I see what she's passionate about? How do I see you know, what the real potentials are without superimposing my, my idea of what she should be or, or, you know, guiding the path for her. So I always tell adults, cause my, my expertise is in adults, see where you're volunteering your time, see hmm. where you're spending most of your downtime. And that'll give you some insight as to what you enjoy doing, because when you're volunteering to do something, when you're doing it during your free time, it's usually because you want to, not because you have to. And that will give you some insight as to what you enjoy doing. So what I want you to do 
is not just see the task that you're doing. The title is not, it's completely irrelevant. What's more important is what is the action that you are doing? So if you are giving out vaccines or you're working at a soup kitchen or you're, you're teaching STEM to young children, it's not about a teacher or a healthcare worker. What you really might be interested in is in helping others. So you start mm. to see, I like to help others. What kind of people do I like to help? Is it adults? Is it children? Is it boys? Is it girls? Is it, right? So you start to pull it apart and pull off the layers, and then you'll see what else is out there because you have an uh, an idea right if what you're doing is creating social media content in your in your spare time because you love to put shapes and colors and designs together well that gives you a lot of insight as to what you might enjoy doing if you're doing a lot of the social media for some organization that you are a part of it could either be your department at work or your house of worship or your kids school or whatever it is well, that will tell you something. You mm. like to create content. So do you like to create visual content? Do you like to create written content? And that can give you some idea because for some people creating social media content, they're breaking out in a cold sweat. It just stresses them out. And some people, they love it because it gets their creative juices flowing. Which kind of person are you? So mm. that will give you some insight. Go see what you're doing during your, your unscheduled time. And that'll give you some really good insight. Yeah, it sounds like what you're saying is something that's kind of circled my mind so much in the last year, and I didn't articulate it as well as you have. But but for for me, I constantly felt like I was in identity crisis mode. It was like, oh, I love doing video production. I love podcasting. I love doing this. And I, I started thinking about it. I was like, it sounds like it's more important to know who you are as opposed to trying to decide what exactly you do. You know what I mean? Like for me, I became comfortable saying I'm a content creator. I love telling stories that help people get to the next level, help people recover from trauma, help people move to this next phase of life or get closure. It doesn't matter if it's a camera or a microphone. Like I know that's who I am. And I've had a lot more peace as opposed to, I think what's programmed into us from K5 is, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I think too too few times we ask people, who do you want to be? Like, what kind of person do you want to be? What what kind of goals do you have? It's always about this title or this this object, which, like you said, isn't always, that's that's other people giving you that. It's not this Absolutely. internal validation or, or peace. And it's, I, it's even more than that, right? Because when I was growing up, when I was in grad school, there were no podcasts, there was no social media, we didn't have internet. So these kind of jobs did not exist. Right. So it's crazy to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know what's going to be in five years. I don't know what jobs will exist in five years. Yeah. Podcasts didn't exist when I was in kindergarten. Podcasts didn't (laughs) exist. Ebook narrators, right? Audible narrators didn't exist. These are new things, new, right? So instead of saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Ask someone, what problem do you want to solve? Mm. Because if you get to what problem do you want to solve, that can be an evolving career. Right. I could I could seriously talk about this all day. Um, <laughs> and I'm 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 just sitting here thinking like I want to take this audit. I, I think this is really helpful. And this kind of stuff really fires me up because I, I think 
one of the scariest things is not knowing your purpose. Like it's not knowing what I want to do, what I want to accomplish. And so conversations like this always get me really excited because you start thinking of things in a different way, start processing things. Um, but unfortunately, I do have to guide us into our section here on networking because that is the the main core content of the show. I want to know from you, you've obviously have done so much in traditional education. You've gone through more schooling than most people could even imagine or, or even hope to imagine. But I, I have to ask, do you believe that who you know or the what you know is more important and why? Who I know got me to what I know. Hmm. So the who I know is critical. It is critical because they can open doors for you that you did not even know existed. You didn't know they were closed to you. I studied adult learning. I didn't even know that was a field before. I thought that was for people who want to teach at night school to GED students. I had no idea, but it was the person who's now the vice provost at Columbia Teachers College who explained to me what it was. I was going to study something else completely. And as he took the time to talk to me, and it was just a regular admissions info session. He took the time to talk to me and he said, I really think you need to look into this field. I I think this is really what you want to do. And that's when I started looking into it and and the rest is history. How do you choose which people's advice to take when it comes to these big steps? Because that's a choosing a path like that is a big step. It's a big decision to make. How do you not get lost in the noise of a million different people saying, I think you'd be perfect for this and choose to say, hey, this person gave me some advice. I think I'm going to pursue it. So Dr. Tom Rock said to me, you need to look into this. Hmm. He didn't say you need to do this. He said, you need to look into this. And then I had to do my research and and figure it out. And and I'll I'll share with you, and, and this really goes not just with advice that you take, because there's a lot of noise and you always want to, any mentor who wants to shape you in their own image so that you can be the mini me, that's not a mentor. Hmm. That's not who you want. So you need to figure out what sits really well with you. And I'll tell you something that my mentor, Dr. Bert Shapiro said to me when I was trying to pick a project for my dissertation, I was telling him about all these ideas I had. And he said, you know, Ruth, that's very interesting, but you need to do something important, not just interesting, Hmm. because if it's important, it will have an impact. If it's interesting, it'll be interesting to you, but there's nothing to do with it right? It's like a good book, but it doesn't inspire. It doesn't motivate. It, it's, there's no call to action. So do something important, not just interesting. Years later, I interviewed Dr. Tony Fauci because of the kind of people I study. And I said to him, well, how do you pick what projects you're going to work on? And he said to me, I pick something important, not just interesting. Mm. Boom. I heard that before, right? No. Do something important, not just interesting, because if you want to have impact, you need to do something important. Now I heard this from two people who I respect. Right. And like you said, the people that are hitting those high achiever marks are starting to think the same way. You're going to start seeing that repeat of advice. And if you hear it from one person, it's probably good. If you hear it from two, three, four, maybe you should take note (laughs) and and implement some of it. And it sits well with you, right? If it doesn't sit well with you. and, And one of the things that I had Remember, I told you I was 43 when I started my doctorate. I I was working full time. And my advisor, Dr. Marie Volpe, was perfect for me because she would give me guidance. And if it didn't sit well with me, she could tell on my face immediately. Immediately, she could tell if I didn't agree with it or it 
it just didn't sit right. And we would talk it through and we would talk it through until we were both comfortable with the final result. And sometimes it took five minutes and sometimes it took five hours, but every day on my way to work, she would talk to me while I was sitting in traffic and we would really just talk it out until we came to a a resolution. It sounds like you're kind of at the intersection of following your intellect and following your heart. Like, it seems like it's kind of a balance of the two. How much time should you spend trying to determine, like, like if you're sitting there for hours and you're trying to figure out if something's the right move, do you just eventually say, if it's taking this long to determine, let's try something else. Do you spend years pursuing something like, because I think a lot of people put a lot of time and money into something and say, I can't switch now. I'm too far in. Um, how, How much freedom should you have to pivot versus how much commitment should you have to a different, a different topic? I think it really depends on the situation and depends on what you're doing. Some things take a long time, right? With science, getting to the answers right. can take generations, right? But it's all about the micro steps you take today, which are helping people in the future. Right. So it depends on what you're you're comfortable with. And I think that's really where your mentors can really help you and say, you're so far deep into the jar that you can't read the label. Let's mm. talk about what's on the label right? Because they can give you that perspective that you can't see. So Mm. that's why you need to surround yourself with good people. And you asked me a few minutes ago, if it's what I know or who I know, that's more important. I surround myself with people who are much better and much smarter than I am always. That's the only way I'm going to improve. they're, They're fabulous. Have you done any, I know you've talked obviously about mentorship. I mean, you, it's part of your career is just mentorship. How important have like masterminds been getting around people that are in the same stage as you, or do you think that there's more value in mentorships than say a mastermind? I think it's really a personal choice. I think you need to see what's right for you. And I think it's okay to mix things up. I'm the kind of person that I'll do one thing and I'll go really deep into it. And then I'll try something new because sometimes you just need to change it up a little bit. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to take us into our last segment here. It is our random round. So it's just some quick questions with some quick answers. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? I want to be, I love what I do, but I think being on the front lines of helping people to do that instead of just telling their stories. So anything Mm -hmm. from being the person backstage on Broadway to being the person who trains the Olympians. I don't know. I have a secret wish to to be at the Olympics in some way, shape, or form. (laughs) In some way. Um, If you could sit on a park bench with anyone, and this will be interesting since you're all about the mentorship, if you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Hmm. She broke barriers and... She had such a keen intellect and she did it with such grace and such humility and such impact that whether or not you agree with her judicial standing on everything, I think her approach was so original and non-threatening to others that I think there's a lot to be learned there. What what would you ask first thing if you had to if you had to start the conversation? What would be the first question you ask? I, there'd be so many, but I, I'd want to know how she overcame when everyone said no and she wanted to do things anyway. What was her strategy? Hmm. How did she go about? Because I, I I know there was a flow chart. It's either written or in her mind, but there was a flow chart. 
And I'd want to know how she, how she went through that and how she elevated to the career that she did, which was not easy during her time. Remember there was just one other female Supreme court justice. So how did she do that? And what got, what was in her way and how did she overcome it? And when did she know it was time to move on? When did she know how to try new things? What was she most scared about? That's what I really want to know. Uh, Um, All of that. How do you like to learn best? Books, blogs, podcasts, videos? What's your favorite format to, to consume new information? So I have two. I'm an avid reader. I read 70 to 100 books a year. But... I love nothing more than actually talking to somebody Hmm. about it. So because of the work I do, I'm very privileged that I actually get to talk to the authors of these landmark books and I can completely geek out and talk about their book for hours (laughs) and have. Right. Uh, Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you get started for your day? So I am the kind of person that needs my routine, right? So I get up in the morning, I get my coffee, I make my bed, shower, get dressed. And, you know, apparently like Michael Jordan, which I just learned today, you (laughs) do things in a certain order as to what you put on and when. And I am a morning person, which means anything that requires a cognitive uh, work, cognitive thinking, I have to do in the morning. So in my case, that's writing, reviewing, editing, anything that, that takes that kind of focus. Anything that's more passive, I have to do in the afternoon when I start to get a little bit more tired. So my Zooms, when I can, are always in the afternoon. Hmm. As an example, responding to emails are always in the afternoon. Gotcha. What's your go-to pump-up song? I have the Tiger. Okay. That's a classic choice. Uh, Old school. (laughs) What are you not very good at? Artistic things. Drawing, Hmm. painting. No good. I tried. (laughs) Uh, okay. what it, what's one place online where people can find you the most? If someone wants to keep up with your journey, obviously they should check out a copy of your book, but if they wanted to connect with you online, follow your journey, see the content you're putting out, where's the best place to find you? Thanks. So the book, the success factor will be out. It's launching in January. It'll be on pre-sale this summer on Amazon. Um, my website, ruthgotian.com, R-U-T-H-G-O-T-I-A-N. Obviously, you can find the passion audit there. You can find out how to develop a mentoring team and all the social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse. It's just my name, Ruth Gotian. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And I'm really excited to check out your book myself. If you're listening to the show, be sure to grab a copy right now while you're thinking about it before it ends. Uh, just head over to the link in the show notes and pre-order it right now. I'm so excited for that to drop drop in January. But uh, again, thank you so much, Ruth, for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapelcom slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109.